0: Uh, We're continuing in our series called Perfect Love, it's our fall campaign, we're growing together as a church, we're studying through 1 John, which is one of uh, the Apostle John's letters, and uh, a lot of powerful stuff in 1 John, a lot of verses that people memorize and and remember and quote, and so if you want to turn in your Bible, we're at uh, 1 John chapter 2, we're going to just cover the last two verses of chapter 2, and then the first 10 verses of chapter 3. So that's where we're at this morning. In our fall campaign, we're encouraging a couple things uh, for you to do to participate so you can get the most out of it. We can grow together as a church. That's what this fall is always about for us. And so um, one of the ways you can do that is we have a life group lesson that you can pick up on the way out. It's on a little music stand there. And Pastor Luke has put together uh, a good lesson of the section that we're going to be studying actually for next Sunday. And so you can grab that and look at it during the week if you're not in a life group. We have Thursday nights up here upstairs at the church, Pastor Ken and his wife are leading that. And so you can uh, go through that lesson and grow and learn. And and when you uh, multiply the times that you're in a text or scripture, then God uh, teaches you more and shows you more things from it. And so really want to encourage you with that. You're not going to get bored of it uh, by covering it twice. You'll actually just get more out of it. So um, that's really the goal behind that. The second thing we have is um, we are trying to, as a group, memorize a couple of verses. And so memorization of Scripture can be a little intimidating at times, but we all can do it. And so we're working our way through this, memorizing 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. So we're going to throw this up on the screen, and if you would, say it together with me. First time, we'll say it with all the words up there, and then we'll take some of the words away, and uh, we'll try to say it again. So, um, so here we go. Let's say it together, if you would uh, uh, say it with me. Dear friends... Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. All right, here we go. Dear friends... Let us love, continue to love one another, for love is from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Good job. A couple more weeks, and then we'll take all the words away. And... uh, you can do it, though. We're going to get it together. Hey, um, this again, this series is called Perfect Love, and we want you to experience the power of perfect love. It really is only through an experience, an encounter with God, that you can learn who He is, and you're going to fall in love with Him. And uh, from that comes a relationship, a fellowship, as John calls it in this uh, letter, fellowship with God. That's a personal relationship with God, where you know God, You're able to talk to Him, interact with Him uh, through prayer, through the Scriptures, through His Spirit. And you can literally walk through this life knowing God. One of the things that does is it gives us a new identity. And identity is so important because whatever your view of yourself is, that's going to affect the decisions you make, what you think you can do and can't do. Everything is wrapped up in your identity of yourself. And so that's why the world talks a lot about it. You need to learn to love yourself. You need to learn to have a positive view of yourself. You need to put down those negative voices. And all of that is an attempt to overcome what a lot of times are our struggles with our own identity. And so in this passage today, the Apostle John is going to give us some insight into a new identity. And so the title of the message is live out of your new identity. You're a different person When you come to trust in Jesus, that new identity involves a transformation. And I wonder if you've ever undergone a significant transformation in your life. Uh, We all go through a big transformation when we hit uh eleven, twelve, thirteen, whatever age it comes for, we go through this transition or transformation called puberty, right? And we go through this big thing and our body's changing, our minds changing. We got these chemicals flowing in our bodies. It gets really confusing and frustrating and, and we all got to get through that, right? It's a kind of a tough time, but but it's also really good. And so we grow through that. We become adults. And then we get into a uh, young adult and we've got to learn how to be uh grown-ups and adulting, you know, and we wanna kinda stay kids sometimes. But oh no, we gotta grow up and responsibilities and work and You know, so we go through these transformations, but I wonder if you've been through one aside from those, like a different kind of transformation. Uh, One that I went through was uh, kind of an interesting one. I wasn't really looking for it. Okay, I didn't go into this seeking a transformation, but I experienced one. And this was back a few years ago when we lived in Colorado. Those of you don't know, Mary and I moved here from Colorado. We were from Nebraska originally, and then we moved away and spent quite a few years in other places, but God called us back here, thankfully, in 2019. But in uh, 2012, we started or tried to start a new church in a suburb of Denver. And so we were working there, meeting in a school and trying to reach people. And as a new church startup, there were people that would come to church who maybe uh, didn't feel comfortable going to a kind of a regular church, and they weren't sure about it, and so they weren't sure about... Um, you know, if they could go in, but we were meeting in a school, so they didn't feel like they're going to get struck by lightning, you know, walking into a school, and so uh, people have those hesitations and concerns, and so kind of help people come, and so we found that we were connecting with people that were maybe in a different place and uh, spiritually and and had different questions and all that, and so I remember one gentleman that came in, and he was in in church, I think, for maybe a couple years, a year and a half, two years, and I kind of got to know them, and of course, uh, we weren't a real big church, so I kind of knew everybody that came, and so, you know, talk occasionally just a little bit, and, but never really had a, maybe a significant conversation until one day after church we did, and I could tell we needed to meet that week, and we needed to talk, and I wasn't sure about what, but I, I had some idea, and so I, we set up lunch at Subway down um, on the um, ed, uh, edge of town there, our little suburb, and so we met there. And we're having lunch and we're talking. He's sharing some things with me. And pretty soon I, I kind of discerned and felt I needed to ask him where he was at with Jesus. You know, and have you made a decision to trust Jesus? And he said, well, what does that mean? What does that include? And so I just shared with him a very simple gospel from Romans. Romans 3, 23, 6, 23, 5, 8. Romans 10, 9, and 10. I just shared the gospel. And we got to the end of it. I said, do you want to put your trust in Jesus? He said, well, yeah, I believe everything that, that you've talked about here. I believe it. I know it's true. And, and I guess, yeah, I'd, I'd like Jesus to come into my life. I'd, I need his forgiveness. And so he prayed uh, there to trust in Christ. And that was real exciting. And then, of course, I knew that I needed to keep meeting with him. And so I said, hey, we need to meet every week now. And we need to help you learn the Bible and grow in your new faith. And so I said, well, what would work for you to meet? And he said, well, you know I'm a, I'm a personal trainer and I've got a little gym that I own. And Uh, it's kind of small but we're kind of struggling but that's what I do and I'm pretty busy with it I do I do that and then I coach soccer and so his days were full and uh and I said well um how about if I started coming to your gym and and you could train me and then we could do some discipleship afterwards And he said okay that could work and so I started showing up there I became a a card carrying member of his little gym and uh and I showed up five o'clock every morning and uh he had a training regimen for me and started working me out now I didn't really have a history with that type of exercising I mean I went out for football one year in high school and we did some weights but I wasn't really good at it I was a tall skinny guy and I couldn't really lift a lot of weight and everybody else could lift more than me so I kind of said I don't really care about lifting weights that's stupid you know and so uh, so I did other things like play basketball and stuff and but uh you know kind of always wanted to I'd love to have been able to bench my own weight which a lot of my peers could do in high school you know but, I could never come close to that. So anyway, I start working out with this guy and he says, well, listen, um, you know, we're not going to lift heavy weights. We're just going to light weights and high reps and, and man, he worked me out. And, and, uh, I spent, like I said, about a year and a half, I think two years working out with him. And I could tell after about a year, as we're getting into the second year, that things were changing physically. I was changing, like I was going through a transformation. I had been tall and skinny, probably about 200 pounds. And uh, I was gaining weight, and things were changing. I had bulges where I didn't have them before. And, and I started to go, wow, I I didn't really, like, I didn't know this was going to happen. I'm in my 40s. I didn't know you could do this. And uh, But, man, I started to transform it. So I started to wonder after a period of time, because we didn't lift heavy weights at all. He had torn a pectoral muscle when he was, like, bodybuilding. So he was scared to death of us lifting. You can't lift heavy. So anyway, I thought to myself, hmm, I wonder if I have... How much strength I have gained. I wonder if there's any chance I could bench my own weight. So I got there early on a set, uh, on a weekday morning. He wasn't there. So he could not get me in trouble for trying to lift heavy weight. So I took the opportunity. I started piling up the bench press, lifting just one at a time. I'm going to max out, see what I can do. And so I lifted, you know, one plate on each side. And then I'm adding, adding, get up to two plates on each side, which is, 225 pounds which is what I weighed and I was a little nervous like I had done the rest of the weights okay I'd gotten up to it didn't seem too bad but of course I didn't want to try this weight and get trapped underneath it and die in the gym you know and then that'd be stupid and so I I went and got somebody from another room that was teaching an exercise class I said would you come and spot me I'm gonna try to see if I can lift this weight and so I lay down on the bench and the person got over top of me helped me lift it off and I'm, I'm nervous when you done, you try trying to do something you haven't done before. You know, you're not sure how it's going to go. But I had help there. I wasn't going to die. And so I lower the weight down and I get down and I start pushing back up. You are know, trying really hard and it kind of goes up pretty easy. I thought, man, that's pretty cool. And so I set it back on the bench. I stood up. I said, wow, I went through a transformation. <laughs> I can't believe this has happened. Now that's a stupid story. Doesn't matter at all. But I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> what does matter is what God's word says to us about the transformation we're supposed to experience when we trust in Jesus. See, we, are, we come into this world fallen and broken. We have a spirit in us meant to connect with God, but that spirit is dead. And so we have human DNA, which has brokenness and fallenness and sin as a part of it. And so we're not capable, the Bible says, of living the way God wants us to. We cannot do the good, that he created us to do. Our DNA is broken and flawed. But we also learn from the scriptures that God didn't leave us in that condition, that Jesus came from heaven to earth. And the Bible tells us that God himself, the Holy Spirit placed Jesus inside of a little teenage girl named Mary. And in her womb, the the son of God became a man. And through what can only be described as a miracle, God took on human flesh and came out born as a human baby. And he grew. And he grew in, in favor and knowledge and he developed to uh, adulthood. And then we know that he was sent out in the wilderness where he was tempted and tested by the devil. And he came out of that, he was baptized and then, or baptized right in that process. And then he began his public ministry. And he began to do what God sent him here to do, the mission that he was called to, which was to reveal God to the world. So he began to teach. And he, he confounded people with his teaching. It was different. It was authoritative. It was powerful. And where the Pharisees and religious leaders of the Jewish people had focused on the rules, uh, checklist, do's and don'ts, modify your external behavior, Jesus began to talk about your heart, your inside, your motivations, What comes out of your mind, and what do you think about, and who are you on the inside? And he started to talk differently, and people were drawn to him to hear this, and as he interacted with people personally, he would confront them with what we've talked about here, you know, six, whatever, barrels of truth, right, just bam, but then it came with not judgment, but it came with grace, and it came with um, love, and so people began to Change and they've drawn to Jesus and they experience transformation. And then we know that Jesus, after performing miracles and teaching and raising people from the dead, even in doing these tremendous things, that ultimately he was put on trial and he was crucified and killed. And he was taken down by some of his followers and placed in a tomb. It was close to where he was crucified. And in that tomb he lay there from Friday night. But on Sunday morning, when some of his followers, some of the women, went out to check on his body, the grave was empty. The stone was rolled away. He wasn't inside. And so they, they encountered him. Mary Magdalene maybe first that Jesus talked to her, and then the rest of them saw him and interacted with him, and ultimately he went back to heaven, and he set them on a mission. But we learn from Scripture that this work that Jesus did was done... So that you and I can have our broken DNA changed and fixed. So that our tendencies and our propensities to do evil, to rebel, can be, that can be healed and mended. So that, as Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 say, we can do the good works that God really created us to do. Because we really came from Him. He created us. He designed us. And He didn't design us to live against Him. He designed us to live for Him. He is who we came from, and so we're able to live this way. This transformation changes us. When we trust in Christ, Jesus told Nicodemus that he had to be born again. His spirit had to be revived, renewed, because it was dead. And so we know that this transformation that we go through, which is a complete changing of who we are, begins by having the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins applied to your life by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit touches your spirit and brings it to life. And that happens as a result of you placing your trust in Jesus. And so your sin nature is cut away from you and you don't have to sin anymore and you can now live for God. And the apostle uh, John is gonna teach us today and instruct us today regarding this change and transformation. And he's gonna teach us that this transformation needs to take place because we belong to God. And so, the aspects of this transformation we, we know that when we trust Christ from Scripture, we're made right with God. In a moment, our sins are washed away. We move from guilty and headed for condemnation and judgment to forgiven and clean. And it's as though we never sinned and we're headed for, to eternity in heaven with God. That happens in a moment when we trust Christ. Then we know that we're set apart or sanctified, we belong to God. So now the motivations and the the way in which we live changes because who we are has changed because God's presence is now within us. And then ultimately, when Jesus returns, which we'll look at a little today, we will be glorified. We'll be given a different body that is meant to and able to live for all eternity in heaven with God. And so this transformation, which will be ultimately complete, it'll be a physical, a spiritual, a complete transformation, it begins when we place our trust in Christ. One of the ways that we think about this is using a word identity. Again, like I said in the beginning, who you are, who you see yourself, is going to dictate how you live. And so your identity changes when you become a follower of Jesus. John's going to tell us that in your new identity, the first thing that happens is you have fellowship Jesus. Let's read verses 28 and 29 of chapter 2 of 1 John. And now, dear children, John says, remain in fellowship with Christ, so that when He returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from Him in shame. Since we know that Christ is righteous, that means He does what is right, we also know that all who do what is right are God's children. Remain in fellowship with Christ. Last week we looked at how we need to guard this fellowship with Christ because there are going to be forces that wage war against it, right? We, we live in a physical world and last week we looked at the cravings that we have, physical cravings, and the things that we see can become cravings, that we want and desire those things. And then we can look at our accomplishments and our possessions. And we can get caught up in the physical world so easily. And so we're to guard against those things. That's what we learned last week. And this week, John is moving into this transformation of identity that we've experienced. And he says, you need to walk in this. You now have have fellowship with God. And so you need to live out of that fellowship. You need to, in other words, you need to energize and fuel the relationship that you have with God. Don't neglect it or it will fade away and you'll lose it. You've got to pay attention to it and you've got to work towards it. And the motivation he gives is that Jesus is coming back. And there's two responses you can have to that. You can be full of courage and excitement for Jesus' return. Man, I can't wait to see him. I can't wait for him to uh, expose how I'm living and what I'm doing because I know that I'm on mission for him. I'm living the way he wants me to. Or we can shrink back in shame because we're not living the way we should. When I uh, was doing some work that moved our family to Atlanta, Georgia, we're trying to start a church, do mission work, and came to a point where the income through that ministry had kind of dried up, and so I went looking for a job, and uh, I went down to an area that had a bunch of box stores, and I just started going one-to-one, I need a job, will you hire me? And I had a good connection with the manager at a store called Staples. I don't think I'd ever been in a staples, didn't know what they did. I mean, I figured they sold staples, but I didn't know what else they had. So, I mean, you know, I I was born at night, but not last night, you know. So, I mean, I I could figure that much out, but I didn't know really what they did. So, I go in, I get them to hire me, and it it was hard. It was hard to get that part-time, like, uh, minimum wage job. But finally, I convinced them I really wanted it, so they hired me. I started learning a lot about people, actually, through working retail. If you haven't worked retail, you should Gives you a good education on human nature and where our society's at. It's not all encouraging, I'll tell you that. But But anyway, I'm working there. Well, I moved to Denver, to Colorado, and they transferred me, and I knew I was going to go into seminary, so I was going to need to work to earn some money while I did that. And so I get a job, and they move me into a store. It's a brand-new store, and we open it up from the ground up, and I got to be a part of the team starting the store, and I had a different position And it was kind of exciting, and so we had a good team, had good relationships, had a great manager, and um, nothing's perfect, but it was a good team, and we got that thing going, and it felt like we were really successful and working good, and that store, for whatever reason, was on the radar for the national office, you know, and so we would get, at times, visits from some of the suits, you know, the high-up executives, like the vice president, came to visit us a couple times, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of expectations in a retail store, And so typically those visits were not super exciting for the managers and, you know, the people that had all the responsibility, they got a little nervous and they put in some late nights trying to make sure everything's perfect. But for me, as kind of a salesman involved in a certain arena, I was actually looking forward to those guys visiting because I knew we were doing a good job. We were exceeding expectations. We were coming up with new ideas. We were being innovative. We had a great team. And I'm like, man, that'd be kind of good for somebody to notice what we're doing. When, Jesus comes, there's going to be an evaluation. A lot of people think we're not going to be judged because we're in Christ, but there is the bema seat of Christ where Christians will give an accounting for what we've done. And I wonder if you're ready for that. Do you feel like you're living in a way that you'll be confident and excited for Jesus to examine your life and to have it exposed? Or will you be embarrassed? Will you step back and shrink back in embarrassment for uh, the way you're living. John is saying, look, this is coming, and you can be confident. You can look forward to Jesus' return. You don't have to be like, I'm going to get in by the skin of my teeth, you know? <laughs> like, uh, you know, we know all of our works are going to be put through the fire, and you know, there's going to be an examination, and you, you can be prepared for it. You really can, but being prepared for it doesn't come by just having said a set of prayer and saying, okay, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust in you. Just don't send me to hell but I'll see you when I get to heaven, right? I mean, that, that's not the approach that's gonna prepare you to see him. And it's not really what he expects out of us at all. His expectations are not lower of us simply because he's come and saves us by grace through faith. And there's no works that we can do to save ourselves. Doesn't mean we're not supposed to do works. Doesn't mean we're not supposed to work at our salvation. Bible makes that clear. And John is gonna hit on it today. He says, listen, An answering, an accounting is coming. Be prepared for it. Guard the fellowship. Live in the fellowship that you have with Christ. John doesn't give a list of rules. He gives the importance of a relationship with God. That becomes the catalyst that allows us to live the way God wants us to. He's going to move on next to discuss our relationship with God in terms of family And, you know, my dad passed away recently, but, you know, it wasn't hard if you were around him and me to see that he was the one who raised me. That I grew up in his home because he influenced me. And his mannerisms and the way he lived and the things that he did and he taught us to do highly influenced my life. They still do today. And so the family you come from has a lot to say about who you are. It's going to influence who you are. And next, John is going to say, after telling us to remain in fellowship with God, and as he says at the end, those who are living for God are his children, he presses a little bit further in chapter 3. And the next concept or encouragement he gives us is that in your new identity, you are a child of God. That's who you are. Let's read verses 1 through 3 of 1 John chapter 3. See how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Friends, when you put your trust in God, he invites you, he draws you, he brings you into his family, and he calls you his child. Before that, we live as enemies of God. That's what the Bible says. We're living in our sin, we're rebellious, and he goes, but when we put our trust in Christ and his forgiveness pours into us and his spirit comes to dwell within us, he says, come on, you're my kids. You're part of my family. I'm your dad, and I'm gonna be proud of you now. I'm gonna identify with you. I'm going to be there to back you up. I'm going to support you. I'm going to encourage you. Yes, I will discipline you. Yes, I will punish you. I'll train you, okay, but you're in my family. And John says, how much does that show God loves us, that he has called us and calls us his children? And then he says, there's this transformation coming. The world cannot see that we belong to God. And I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. I thought the world was supposed to see something different in us because of our relationship to God and that we belong to him now I thought the world was supposed to be able to identify us but then I thought a little bit more we'll know you know they see something different in us but they don't know what the difference is because they don't know God and a lot of people have concepts of what Christians can and can't do and what Christians should and shouldn't do and a lot of people put that on us as kind of a leverage against us well a good Christian wouldn't you know who try to give us this idea that we should be perfect, and we get kind of beat up about that sometimes, maybe you have. But they don't really know, because they don't know God. And so then he talks about this, as we talked about, the transformation is complete when we are glorified. And he goes, there's going to be a time when Christ returns. We're going to be transformed. And he said, we don't know yet what that's going to look like, right? But we will when he gets here, because we will see him as he really is. And the rest of the world, all the world, will see who God is and that we belong to him. They'll be able to see the identification. They'll be able to see the similarities. And, that, and what a powerful thing to look forward to, complete and total transformation to be like Jesus. Um, last week I touched a little bit on the times that we're in. And a lot of people wonder, especially with war beginning in Israel and the Middle East, it gets us thinking, where are we at? What does the scripture say? Where are we at in end times prophecy? You know, does this mean Jesus is going to come back soon? And of course, all that's really good uh, for us to think about. And I shared last week that I believe the next big event for us, in terms of what the Bible teaches and what we see in scripture, is going to be what we call the rapture. And I thought maybe I'd give you a little reasoning or scripture behind that, why I believe that. Of course, you need to figure out for yourself what you believe regarding end times, eschatology. But 1 Thessalonians 4 gives us a description of what um, has become uh, and understood as a rapture. And that is this transformation happening and the resurrection of the dead and then those who are still alive being transformed. So let me just read a couple of verses. Just listen as I read this. gives a little description of what we have to look forward to next in my opinion. First Thessalonians 4.13, Paul says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. We just did a funeral on Friday for Tammy Droddy, uh, been a part of this church for many, many years. She passed away, and so we grieved her loss, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope, because in Christ we know she is um, in a different place with God, and that we'll see her again in eternity. And so that's why Paul's writing here to the Thessalonians. He goes on verse 14. "For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So we know that from this, those who died go to be with the Lord. That's what Paul says um, in other places as well, to be absent with the body, from the body to so be present with the Lord. He goes on, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, here it is, with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. And so this is the concept. It's where we get the concept, the idea of a rapture. It's not really the second coming and that Jesus comes to the earth. Because that is going to initiate some different um, circumstances. And, and there will be things that follow that. But, but this is, um, we believe, ahead of the great tribulation. Where we are taken from this earth along with those who have died and are in Christ and we go to be with him, and then we believe—or I believe—what happens next is a great tribulation. And so, all of this brings us the question: Well, what about Israel, and what's going to happen with Israel? And again, we're looking at Israel in the middle of conflict and war. Once again, and the people of God, as we know they are, have been through this kind of thing um, nearly since their uh, origination. They've been persecuted on the earth, and of course, we know that's because they are God's people. And, the enemy, the devil, seeks to destroy what God has created and initiated, and he created the people of Israel to represent him and reflect him on the earth. But now, the New Testament tells us in Romans 11, that since Israel rejected Jesus as Messiah, God opened up salvation to the whole world. And so now, we Gentiles, most of us are Gentiles, we're not Jewish, we can be saved. And so this rejection by of Israel, you know, um, of God and his, his provision of a Messiah has made us able to come into what is known now as the church. And that's God's primary um, vehicle to transmit the gospel and get it out there and see people come to Christ and get saved. And so, but what about Israel? Well, we know that Israel is still God's people and Romans 11 tells us that God has a plan. He will fulfill and complete his promises that he's made to them. And so what's our job as a church, as Christians today, of a nation that largely has rejected Jesus? What do we do? Well, for many, there's attempts to reach the Jewish people. And some have believed in Jesus as Messiah. They become what we call Messianic Jews. And they have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And so there's efforts made all the time. Jews for Jesus is an organization we support. They're trying to reach Jewish people with the gospel. So what do we do in the midst of a season where they're being persecuted and attacked? We don't know what's going to come of that. We really don't know If this is playing, again, into the end times in terms of the rapture next or the return of Christ. So what do we do? Well, the question was asked by a person in the church, what are we doing to support Israel? And the idea came about that um, perhaps, if nothing more, we can have a time of prayer specifically for them. And so this Thursday morning, we kind of typically open the church for prayer at 7 o'clock. I'm going to open the doors at 6.30. Just want to encourage you, if you want to come in, we have an individual reading some scripture... And if you just want to pray for Israel as a church, here in the church, then um, I'd invite you to come then. We'll have the church open for a couple hours. You can sneak in before work. But I do think we should be praying for them and for peace to come to that area. And that God would show them and reveal to them who he is, even through this persecution. The hope of an eternal transformation that we see here that John shows us, motivates us, or should motivate us, towards transformation in this life, that we would begin to live differently. And so next we see in this passage that in your new identity, live like Jesus lived. That's what John is going to urge us to do. Let's keep reading John chapter three, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure, meaning Jesus. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law. For all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. An eager expectation of being with Jesus means we engage a battle against sin. John indicates here that if we trust Christ and we know him, we won't sin. In the chapter 1 of 1 John, he indicates that we can't deny that we have sinned. We are sinners. And so he gives us a process of winning the battle, which involves confession, 1 John 1, 9, which is sorrowfully acknowledging to God when we fall short, when we sin. And then when we confess to him, he cleanses us, he forgives us. And so it keeps our relationship with him healthy and strong where we're not shirking away and embarrassment and shame, but we're confident and courageous because we're being cleansed by God. We're walking in fellowship with him. It allows us to do that. And then we can work towards repentance, which is to turn from our sin. And it is a battle against sin that we're in. And so John says, listen, this eager expectation of glorification and your body transformed with Jesus for all eternity, let it motivate you now to begin to change, to move away from sin. You are not meant for sin. You are not saved to continue to sin. In your new identity, don't make sin a practice. Verse 7 of 1 John chapter 3. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Of course, a strong challenge by John, that if we do belong to Jesus, we will move away from sin. We won't make it a practice. We will practice instead of moving away from it and of gaining victory in those areas of life that we struggle with. And we all have struggles. And it's a a deep struggle, and it can take a lot of time to win the battle. But we don't give up. We don't accept sin in our lives. And as John said in the beginning, we don't let other people convince us that certain things are okay or not okay. We don't listen to someone else. I hear in our country today so many voices telling Christians it's okay to do this or that. It's okay to use this substance, whatever it is, all right? Put it in your body, it's okay. A Christian can do that. It's okay for a Christian in a sexless marriage to use pornography. It's okay. It's okay for a Christian to get divorced, right? No big deal. It's okay to live together before you get married. Not a big deal. It's okay. God doesn't care about that. It's okay to swear. You can cuss. It's not a big deal. They're just words. It's okay not to love your wife. Men, if she's not lovable, you got a difficult woman to live with, it's okay. That's just an ideal God put in there. It's a guide. You don't really have to do it. If it's too hard and she's not acting respectfully, it's all right. It's okay, women, not to submit to and respect your husband, especially if you're living with a jerk who isn't a good leader, right? Right? It's okay, we hear, to be gay and be a Christian, to practice a homosexual lifestyle and be a Christian. It's okay. It's okay to change your gender and be a Christian. It's all right. That's something that's allowable. On and on and on, we hear these messages of what's okay as a Christian. Can I just tell you with some caution to be careful who you listen to, who you believe? John says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. There are a lot of people with messages that only lead us to destruction. God has given us the messages of life, the instructions that lead to life. Follow the scriptures, if I could give you any encouragement. Follow the scriptures. Don't even listen to me tell you what right and wrong is. Read God's word. You have it. You have access to it. Get in here. Let God speak to you. Let Him show you. Don't go with an agenda. Don't go with an agenda about what you think is right and wrong. Put it aside. Say, God, show me. I'm willing to look at your word and take it at face value. If you say something's wrong, I'm going to listen to that. Listen to the Holy Spirit. John said last week that you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You don't need to be taught what's true and what's not true. God will teach you himself. Still true today, the Holy Spirit will show you what right and wrong is. Follow your convictions, we learn in 1 Corinthians. You have convictions. The Holy Spirit will convict you and you'll have personal convictions. You know what? I need to stay away from this. Why would you let somebody talk you into doing it when you have a conviction against it? Don't, don't do that. What, what is their goal? To have a partner in what they're doing. They just wanna pull you down. No, stand strong. Say, you know what? I don't believe in that. I wanna do it. God has told me not to do that. and I'm gonna follow him. Trust God in his direction, okay? That's what I'm saying. Because the devil is full of lies. He wants to confuse us. He wants to steal from us the victory we have living in Christ. He wants to kill us. That's his only goal. There isn't anything good that he has in in mind for us. He wants only destruction. I learned something recently that I didn't understand about one of the Old Testament commandments. It's found in the Ten Commandments, actually, out of Exodus 20, verse 7. One of the commands is this. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Now, I grew up thinking that meant you don't use the word, you know, God and then a cuss word. Or you don't say, oh my, you know, and use God's name. You don't use it flippantly. And I think that's very true. But you know what really is behind that is something much more significant. And that is to say God said it's okay to do this or that when he didn't. To say, oh no. God, here's a message from God. Let me tell you, it's okay to do. This happens all the time. And that is what this command is against. It's not okay to claim, you know what God has to say and you got a message for somebody else from God, right? That is in opposition to what his word says. No, that's taking God's name in vain. It's misusing it. And it's so much more destructive than just using God's name flippantly. Israel did it. The prophets, some of the prophets did it. Some of the kings did it. And people are doing it today in the guise of knowing something more, having some insight as to what you can do, what's okay, what God's okay with. Be careful, friends. Be cautious. Listen to God. Follow him. He's a good shepherd. He's a good guide, and he will lead you to life. Everyone else's motivations are not good. Disciples have God's life within them. They don't make a practice of sinning, but they make a practice of trying to do what's right. In uh, one of the discipleship groups I lead called Every Man a Warrior, I've got a couple groups going and we're studying how to have a quiet time and how to read God's word and get something out of it for ourselves. And I hope at some point all of you get a chance to take that class. It's for men. Sorry, ladies, there's there's a class for ladies too, but this focuses on men and how we're supposed to live for God and be spiritual leaders and be the men God called us to be. And The first quiet time we do is in Colossians 3, 1 through 17. We look at this passage, and we read it, and we dissect it, and we dig into it, and we get out of it what's there. And one of the cool concepts in Colossians 3, verse 5, is this this idea of how to live this new life is what the whole passage is about. In verse 5, it says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. And he goes on to talk more about the things we need to get rid of in our lives. And, and to the guys, I say this, you know, murder is wrong. Killing is wrong, okay? are not supposed to kill. Bible tells us it's in the 10 commandments. But you know, there's one thing, one thing especially it is okay to kill. And that is the evil desires lurking within you. You need to put them to death. And so I like to think about strangling them off and killing them so they're gone. And it's difficult to do. We have a human flesh that pulls us. We crave, we struggle. Listen, it's not an easy battle, but it can be won, and it starts by cutting off the things that feed those appetites, putting them to death. What a powerful concept of how we should be living our lives, focused on how to become more like Jesus, practicing righteousness, not practicing how to sin. Jesus made the church as a vehicle, as a place, a resource for us. He made the church for you and for me so we can grow, so we can be empowered. We can be um, filled with courage. We can have that support we need. And in America, I'll just tell you, this is a hard message, but it's true. We have pulled back from church involvement to the point it almost isn't there. We do just as little as possible. And I'm telling you guys, it's not working. It's not growing us to maturity. I mean, we went through COVID, and, and by all accounts, the church didn't do any better than the rest of the world. We struggled just the same, and I'm, not, I'm in the same, but I'm not, I'm not claiming I'm in a better spot. It was a hard thing to get through for all of us, but we just assessed it as leaders, as church leaders, going, man, we're not where we need to be, and so we need to drill down deeper. We need to give our people more, and so we're moving away from Saturday night service here at Mitchell Berea, not to lose something, but to gain something, and so I just want you to think about this. I know you're busy, and this is a hard ask, I do not love it, but I gotta, I gotta do it, is that you need more in your life. Now, you don't have to get it all here. You can find growth and encouragement, Bible studies things, other places, fellowship. It's okay, but this is a good place and there's a lot of opportunities. And Pastor Luke has been growing this discipleship piece that happens from 9.30 to 10.30, lots of opportunities. And I'm just gonna tell you, if you're gonna be strong in your faith, if you're gonna grow to maturity, you gotta do more than church every once in a while. I want you to be here. This is an important part of our growth, but we need more. And so when I was a kid, man, we were in church three times a week, and I didn't always love it, right? But I got a lot. I learned a lot. I came out of high school knowing a lot about the Bible, knowing the truth, able to discern what was lies in the world around me. You guys, we need that same thing. And so it's all I want for you is more. I want you to grow more, be more mature. And so would you consider... A little bit more. We're moving to Sunday mornings. We're just focusing on Sunday, Sunday mornings. Again, Pastor Luke's doing Mitchell Breen University on Saturday nights. Great opportunity. We're not taking away everything from a Saturday night. So if you, if you wanna come, if that's the only time you can come, Saturday night, you can still come and get fed and grow. But Sunday mornings, you can do more. And that's really what we're trying to encourage. Instead of just one hour, come and serve another hour and go to church. Attend and serve, or maybe attend service and then go to a discipleship class. And just grow more. Grow more. I know it's hard. We're all busy. We're too busy. I get it. But I I can't let that be a hindrance from me challenging you and telling you what we need to do. We need to grow more. We are on mission in our world. Remember our mission statement. We're a church on mission to raise up disciple makers who share the gospel, preach the gospel where we live, work, and play. And there are people around us dying and headed for hell for eternity, and we need to be ready to share the gospel with them. We need to be representing Jesus and be strong enough in our faith that we can have those conversations. There's a lot of misconceptions about Jesus and what we need to do to be saved. The world's full of them. There's a guy named Bill Winemaster who goes to church here. He's been coming here for a long time. He's really one of the anchors of our church, but he lived a lot of his life thinking that in order to come to God, he had to get rid of the sin in his life first. He grew up in church. He went through catechism. He learned all the rules. He just thought, I got to get my life straightened up before I can come to Christ. And he said it took, I think he was in his 60s, he was older and he, had, he went to a promise keeper's rally and there God got through to him that that wasn't the order. <laughs> the order is you come to Christ first. You come humbly. You ask for forgiveness. You acknowledge your spiritual need. And then Jesus enters your life and heals you and forgives you and then... You begin to be transformed. You know somebody that believes that same message, and it's a lie. And you've been placed in the world, in your neighborhood, at your work. You've been placed there to help that person see the truth and maybe make a decision to trust Christ as a result of your witness. I want us to be on mission. I want us to be engaged. The times are short. I do think Jesus is coming back soon. And so we only have a little bit longer. I don't know how much longer, but let's live with purpose. Let's live with purpose, and that includes being encouraged and growing, being built up. And so, um, please consider what God might have you do. God, thank you for loving us, and thank you for your church. We're so thankful for it. Thank you for your word, which challenges us and continues to teach us and guide us. God, we don't want to practice. We don't want to make sin a practice. We want to. We don't want to give into it. We want. We don't want to fall into apathy. We want to stay motivated. Motivated by. The eternity that you promised us. The transformation that will be complete when you return. God, help us to live out of that new identity. We are your children, sons and daughters of the most high God. Help us to live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.